I want to take this time to, uh, I want to take this time to, uh, before I get into this message, just say how much I appreciate uh, Reggie and the music team for what they do for us here in Fort History. I like the fact that they don't let the issues of their life stop them from doing what they do for us. And I know they have issues that arise as well, just like the rest of us. And still they come in and they bless us. So I want to tell them how much I appreciate that. And I know Ridge had a friend in Bethlehem who died this past week. In the music world, I know Gip was his friend. Yeah. And I know he'll validate that friendship by how he keeps the music going. I know that. But everybody goes through something. We handle it in different ways. I saw you on you on uh, Instagram. You, you, I think it was here. You were playing "Prayer Made the Difference." Yeah, do that for me right now. Can you do that? Yeah. Put it on. Let me show you the Instagram. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Just make it more beautiful. <laughs> Many times in my life. I've come through the storms and the rain Time after time in my life I've overcome heartache and pain But through God's strength is me and he makes me strong Give me the courage To keep on keeping on Oh, pray, Made the difference All to have a witness and hear that prayer Prayer made the difference Oh, yes, it did for when it comes through by prayer, I declare the prayer changes things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, it will. Yeah. Somebody ought to know. Said prayer, prayer made the difference. Sometimes you got to get down on your knees and humble yourself before the Lord, yeah. Made the difference. Ooh, yeah, made the difference. Come on. I, I thought yeah. I knew it, but I didn't really know what happened. That's all. See, I didn't know till I got down on my knees and I listened to the Lord, y'all. 
Come on, God. You see, when you really listen, that's when the Lord is really going to speak to you. Yeah. But you got to listen. <laughs> Go on and talk to him right now. Yeah. Say, Jesus. Say, Jesus, keep me. Yeah. Say, Jesus, keep my family, Lord. Yeah, yeah. Come on now, come on, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm thinking about this topic we're talking about today, cancer and how it affects us. If you don't know anything, if you've been dealing with cancer, you know the power of prayer involved. And of all the things that made the difference, not the doctors, not the medicine, but it's prayer. Prayer that made, that made the difference. Trusting, oh my. Yeah. And so when you find yourself in that place with someone you love or if it's you, the best thing you can do is pray for them. It's the most powerful thing you can do. Pray for somebody that's struggling, and not only cancer, any issue they may be dealing with. We need to learn how to support each other by prayer. Thank you, Reg. Bless you. There's a word from the Lord that He's given me to talk to you about today. It comes from the gospel according to St. John, chapter 5, verses 1, really it encompasses verses 1 through 15, a long passage. Some of you may be familiar with it, some maybe not. You let me read it for you. Follow along. I know Tam's gonna put it up and the version might be a little bit different than the one I'm reading. Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem for a holiday celebration. And there was a feast. And the writer wrote, after this, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the wall. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the wall. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in 
was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another stepped down before me. And Jesus said, stick a pen in verse 8. And Jesus saith unto him seven words that changed his whole life. He said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Watch this thing. And the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed on the Sabbath day. And he answered them and said, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was. He didn't even know who healed. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, and a multitude being in that place. But afterward Jesus found him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. Then the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him, made him whole. Thus ends the reading of the passage of Scripture. For a little while this morning, I want to work with this topic. I'm looking for a miracle. I'm looking for a miracle. Lord, I need a miracle. If you read John, not just this passage I just gave to you, you'll find that the first four chapters show Jesus who came into his ministry showing people that he was the promised Messiah. Jesus' work during those three years of his the adult period that we know about in Scripture show him working steadily validating what the prophets have said about a Messiah who was coming. Jesus didn't waste time proving that he was, in fact, that Messiah. And when you get to chapter 5, John starts to write about the political context of what Jesus is doing. You have to understand that prior to Jesus' public ministry, the game in town was following the Jewish leaders, doing what they said you needed to do. They handled all the money. They handled all the public adulation 
They were God's men on earth. And anybody that came along and disrupted that status quo was going to be in trouble with them. And so if you have set up as your business that the church is the one that deals with death and dying and misery, the church is the one that gives you your approval once you've had a disease to say that you now are clean and no longer have that disease anymore, you're healed and no longer have that disease anymore, and all of a sudden, here comes somebody who's disrupting all of that. Here comes a man that's not asking you to buy turtle doves. Here comes a man who's not asking you to come and pay alms and, and give into the coffers of the temple. He's just healing folk for free. That's a problem for them. The Jewish leaders start to reject Jesus publicly, telling folk that he must be some kind of heretic because he can't do all the things that he says he's able to do. And they start challenging him publicly in various places because they see that if what this man is saying, if he keeps on doing it, these folk will stop following us and start following him. And so Jesus comes into this latest incident, we'll say, going to one of the most public places in Jerusalem. He has three acts of healing that he does. Each one of them ratchets up the hostility toward him. The first we're going to talk about today. The second is found in chapter 9 when Jesus gives sight to a man who's born blind. And the third is found in chapter 11. It was the mic drop moment in Jesus' ministry. It's the one that when he completed it, they were certain that they were going to kill him. And that's when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, it's one thing when you go and you make somebody that hadn't been here and here. Somebody that can't see, see. But you all in a whole nother area when you can come in and raise somebody from the dead now. Yeah, you have upset some because we ain't been able to capitalize on that one yet. And you came in, you getting folk up out of graves, you getting a whole new church. <laughs> yeah. You recycling folk around here. We, how we gonna ever catch up with that? The miracle takes place in Jerusalem. City is full of people because it's a celebration, and when there's a celebration, people are always happy. Even folk who don't like each other get along during the celebration. You ever notice that you even smile and shake hands with the folk you don't like when Christmas comes? It's just, my uncle say you get a case of the cane hippies. Yeah. They were there. There were three major Jewish feasts. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. And Jesus came to town because out of all that he was to us spiritually, he was by birth a Jew. He followed the teachings and the leanings of the Jewish nation, and he did what Jews did. And if Jews celebrated a holiday, guess what? He celebrated a holiday. 
in that city because it was arid in that nation, sand everywhere, water was an important part of the ritual of cleansing. And so there were wonderful places, I probably got some pictures of, there were some wonderful, wonderful buildings and they all had pools associated with them. That's a picture of what's called the beautiful gate or the gate called beautiful. It was associated with a pool that sat there and it was unique in that there were five covered porches surrounding the pool. The pool had a legend associated with it. The name of the pool we're talking about today was called Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. It was famous because, as you can imagine, if it was a covered porch, people want to get out the sun, and they're going to stay there all day, so they're going to crowd around the covered porch. And they would come, and they would lay there, and they would wait on somebody to come, and they would beg for all of the visitors, please give me something, whatever you got. It was, it was every manner of person with every manner of issue was laying around this pool. It was interesting. And I can imagine it was a horrible scene. If you walked up on it and you'd never been in there before to see all these people suffering, all these people in misery. But of all the people laying there around the temple, I mean around the pool, there was one who was famous. You know, everywhere you go, somebody got to be famous. I went on a trip to Los Angeles some years ago and went to a place of misery in Los Angeles. If you've ever visited there and never been to Skid Row, it's a sight to behold. There's an area of the city with nothing but tents and cardboard boxes and people living on the streets because of the circumstances, the high rents, and the people don't have anywhere to stay in. And all these folk living out there, and it's a community. And when you walk up on it, you, you, you see misery, but you don't hear it. These folk are just out there living. They're doing what they do, and of course they're out there hawking and selling everything they got, you know, whether it's legitimate or not, I don't know, but they were selling, and one dude came up with an arm full of presidential Rolex watches. <laughs> now you be the judge on whether you thought them watches were legitimate. Presidential, no doubt. Yeah, they look good. I didn't buy one, but one of the guys with me bought one. It wasn't for $15. <laughs> and he had the nerve to ask him if he got a warranty with it. <laughs> but this is my point. He asked him if he had a warranty with it. And the guy said, oh yeah, oh yeah, my word is good, man. Just, he said, just come down here and ask for the mayor of Skid Row. <laughs> Everybody want to be famous. Sometimes it's not for a good thing, but there was a man here who was famous. He had laid by the pool for 38 years. Now, I want you to imagine that now. 38 years was pushing close to the life expectancy of folk during that time. They didn't live as long as we do now. 38 years laid by a pool. 
38 years, people going, people coming. 38 years, somebody bring him in the morning, get him in the afternoon. 38 years, he didn't work. 38 years, somebody had to be responsible for making sure he got something to eat every day. 38 years of him asking people as they came along. 38 years, the Jewish leaders watching him as they come in and out. 38 years, nobody in the temple bothered to help him get off the porch in 38 years. Yet, he was depending on a legend. The legend was this, that every now and then, as the old preachers would say, an angel would come. And the angel would come in and he would trouble the water. That means he would make the water ripple. And at the sign of the angel troubling the water, the very first person who got in the pool would be healed, thus making it a miracle. The problem is this. Every time he got enough arms begged up to pay somebody, to move him and position him close enough to the water so that when it's trouble, he can get in, somebody else would beat him in the water. He probably didn't realize that the person who was, he was paying was getting paid by other folk too. That was his hustle. Yeah, and it didn't matter, can I tell you something? When you wanna get healed, it doesn't matter the nature of your, your problem, you just wanna heal it. So even though he couldn't walk, somebody else had a pop toe. They just wanted it healed. They didn't care that he couldn't walk and if getting in the water was gonna take care of my pop toe, then I'm gonna get in the water before you because I need that here. People don't care, people just want what they want. People are selfish and who knows, I might just have dry skin, I need soft skin. I'm gonna get in the water before you. Your problem ain't gonna be bigger than my problem. And so he was always thwarted. He was miserable, y'all, 38 years sitting by that pool, laying by that pool. We don't know the exact disease that he suffered from, but he lay there in what was called, I think I call it a scene of helplessness. We have them around Birmingham. You might not go down those corridors every now and then, but I can tell you there are scenes of helplessness all over Birmingham when people are struggling and they live that way. I know there are some people who have the ability not to live out there, but who choose to. One, they choose to live out there because they have camaraderie. As bad as it might sound, they might have the ability to go stay in an apartment somewhere by themselves, but they by themselves. They have camaraderie in that place. Amen. Amen. But this man who was sickest, we don't know what was going on with him. We don't know what was going on with him. But we can tell a few things from the passage. Whatever the malady, illness he was suffering from, he couldn't walk. And if you couldn't walk in that area at that time, y'all, you couldn't work. And if you couldn't work, you couldn't eat. 
and you were miserable and, and you were subject to other folk doing things for you. Yeah, you know that there are some people who simply don't know the thrills of life like you do because of what they've been subjected to. You can't walk. There's some joys in life you don't know. The exhilaration. How many of you have just gotten up and just walked somewhere? Not going anywhere. Just go outside. I just want to go outside and walk and let the breeze blow over me. That's, that's a freedom we take for granted. It's a freedom we take for granted to be able to get up out of here by yourself and go get in a vehicle. That's a freedom we take for granted. He didn't know those freedoms because he couldn't move. He couldn't move himself to a private place if he wanted to because he was lame, y'all. He couldn't get up and go to the restroom on his own, the indignity of that, because he was lame. He couldn't kneel to pray because he was lame. We take these things for granted. We can and we don't kneel to pray. Couldn't stretch after a good sleep. Couldn't stand and stretch. Couldn't climb a tree. Couldn't dance. Couldn't do any of those things, y'all, because he was, he, was, he was lame. Couldn't walk hand in hand with a sweetheart. Because he was lame, y'all. Couldn't bounce a baby on his knee. Run around the yard with his children. Or do any of those things that you and I simply take for granted. Little doubt this man was helpless. But I don't know whatever else he was expecting that day. But I guarantee you, every day this man got up looking for a miracle. I need some help in my life because the everyday things of life have failed me. If you look close enough, you're honest with yourself, you might just see a little bit of yourself in this man's situation. Sometimes, just like this man, we find ourselves feeling helpless. The circumstances have gotten out of our control. And Sometimes it's not physical lameness that keeps us. Sometimes we are spiritually lame. Sometimes we can't get up and move the way we want to. Sometimes it's emotional lameness that keeps us from going. We keep staying in the same place instead of moving along. And sometimes we need help, like this man did, to get out of that rut we find ourselves in. We have, we have rocked ourselves like in a rocking chair can't get out of that place, and we need some help. We want to participate in the activities going on, but I'm stuck in this rut. Like this man, you want to be better. This man laid on this porch for 38 years. Can I, can't, I came to tell you today that if you want to get better, you want to do something more, you're going to have to get up off this porch. You got to figure out how to get off the porch you find yourself in. So we see this man who's in the midst of this scene of helplessness, but then a hero comes along. We're talking about heroes this morning. And here comes a hero, and Jesus, according to John, came along to the pool that day. He showed up, and the Bible says he was deliberate in coming to the pool that day. See, Jesus understood all the ramifications of him coming to the most famous pool to see the most famous lame man in town. He understood, so he deliberately came to the pool that day to see this man. And he went straight to him. Can you imagine 
Every day after 38 years, you're praying for somebody to come along, and this man comes along, and you don't even know who he is. Change comes walking up to you, and you don't even recognize change when it comes. And John, according to John's writing, Jesus is trying to show people that I am who you've been praying for. Now, there's a metaphor here. All right? I want you to see the analogy. This man has been laying down there for 38 years praying for somebody to come make a change. Jerusalem, the people have been praying for years for somebody to come in and make a change. And here comes Jesus and the man don't recognize him, nor do the people in Jerusalem recognize who Jesus is. And Jesus is the same thing to this man laying there as he is to the people in Jerusalem. But neither of them are aware that he is the change that they've been looking for. He's the Messiah. But what better way to prove to all the people I'm the Messiah than proving to this man I'm the Messiah? If they have eyes to see, they'll see. The Bible says in verse 6, Jesus knew the man had been sick for a long time. Of course, Jesus knows. Jesus knows you've been sick for a long time. Jesus knows you've been stuck in your rut. For a long time, it hasn't gone observed by him that you've been wanting to get there. You just haven't had it in you to get out of that rut. The songwriter's been writing about it for a long time. You know it. One, one songwriter wrote this, Reggie He says, he knows how much you can bear. In other words, if Jesus knows how much you can bear, see if this makes sense to you. If he knows how much you can bear, he knows your, your load limit. He knows when you're about to reach your maximum load. And he knows that when you're about to reach your maximum load, he has to do something. Somebody ought to shout, Jesus took the weight off me. Just when I thought I couldn't take it no more, Jesus came and changed my life. Not only that, another songwriter wrote, no, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. And he will guide till the day is done. I love this one. The songwriter wrote, if your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain and your soul is almost sinking in despair, Jesus knows, everybody say knows, the pain you feel. He can save and he can heal. So you ought to do what? Take your burden to the Lord and Somebody else has been reading that song, too. Just like this man. Some of us have had problems for a long time. But the scripture says Jesus already knows about your problems. Stop acting like just because you closed the door to your house, nobody knows. You don't have a secret problem. Other people might not be actually aware today, but Jesus knows. You got a sick marriage, guess what? He knows. You got a bad boss, guess what? He knows. You a bad employee, guess what? Oh, let's be honest now. Some of us are stuck. We hate our jobs because we a bad employee. We picked up some bad habits on the job and we're stuck in the rut 
of being a bad employee. And if we could just get out of it, we can't change, though, because our friends will look at us crazy and think we're a snitch or something. We can't change. But Jesus knows. You got bad children. He knows. You a bad child. You got a bad attitude. Use too much bad language. You're a bad church member. Come on now. He knows. He knows. But if you want to get better, if you're praying to get better, it's not going to change until you get off that porch. And I know, I know, I know you're looking for a miracle to come save you. Watch me now. When the hero comes to the man who's been laying there for 38 days, I'm 38 years, he gets to the heart of the problem. Doesn't waste any time. Jesus approaches the man, doesn't beat around the bush. He says to him, clearly, wilt thou be made whole? Now that sounds foolish. I've been laying here for 38 years, and the first question you ask me when you come is, will I be made whole? Let's see if Jesus knows more than you think he does. See, the heart of the matter for anybody that's suffering is that people want their problems, y'all not going to hear me on this, people want their problems solved, but they don't want to change. People want the circumstances, the situation to change, but they don't want to change. People want a bonus on their job even though they're a bad employee. Every day you ask for it. You get mad. Know you've been horrible 365 days of the year. Everybody else get a raise because they came in early, they stayed late, they did the overtime you wouldn't do. They did all the stuff you say, I'm going home and watch Real Housewives of Inglenook. And you said, You said, I'm going to the house. They said, I'm staying here. They gave them a bonus, and you mad. Yeah, you want your situation to change. You don't want to change. Yeah, they do not want to be helped out of their weakness. They're comfortable in the weakness and helplessness. Some folk even crave the attention that comes from the situation they're in. In other words, they're not helpless enough yet. Have you ever seen anybody get mad because somebody else is going through a miserable circumstance and everybody's giving them attention and the person is jealous of the attention they're getting? They're jealous. Everybody come to see them. Talking to them. Truth of the matter is the person just isn't ready to acknowledge that they can't make it on their own. Now, now, let, let, let's see if I can put this into a, a, a righteous context for you. After 38 years, while he might be miserable, he got his own little ecosystem going on here. You know, I'm laying here, I got folk that take care of me. If I got to be miserable, at least I'm around the pool. You know, if I got to be miserable, at least I got a boy that go get breakfast for me. I got a girl that go get lunch for me. I got somebody that take me to get dinner. Yeah, it might be awful, but it ain't awful enough. 
for me to want to change. And some folks say that about our lives. Even though I got folk getting out of Dodge on me, I ain't in bad enough shape yet for me to make the change that I need to make. And Jesus comes to him and asks this question because you can't help somebody who does not want to be helped. Some people are content in simply staying on the porch. They socialize on the porch. Feel safe and protected on the porch. You know where you'll find me, I'll be on the porch. Your child might be on the porch of drug addiction and you praying and doing everything you can. Don't go out there. And they say, I'll be all right, Mom. I'll be on, I'm just on the porch. You can pray for them all you want, but they're not going to get better, y'all, until they decide that they want to get off the porch. And the way that happens is we got to get rid of the spirit of hopelessness got to get rid of it. It gets so entrenched in our spirits. And the man wanted to be healed, but he was still making excuses. Look at this. I'm not making it up. I can take you right to the scripture. The man put it right out there on Jesus. When Jesus said to him, wilt thou be made whole? The first thing he went to telling him about was a fable. See, see, you can call it a miracle if you want, but miracles come from God. This was a fable. He said, I, I want to be healed, but, but nobody going to help me get in the water. I hope you watch what happens in this. And by the time I get to the pool, somebody else has gotten in there before me. And this has created in this man a feeling of hopelessness. And what he didn't realize is that you can't put your hopes in man. Why? Because a man will leave you on the porch. Yeah, you can't put your hope in a man, y'all, because a man might not show up, even if you pay him all your money. He might not show up. Can't depend on somebody else to come to the rescue unless they have the power to make the change that you see. And what he didn't realize that in all that he was hoping for, all that he was hoping for was standing in front of him. And he didn't know who it was. He didn't realize he was speaking to the one who Paul would later refer to as the hope of Israel. The one the, the psalmist wrote about when he said, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear upon them that hope in his mercy. Psalm 38 and 15 says, For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Everybody say hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. I will wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait on him. In his word do I hope. Lamentations, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Romans 8 and 24. For we are saved by hope. And hope came walking to the pool that morning. He didn't realize what hope was because he had been hoping in lesser. He had been hoping in a man. He had taken his eyes off the true prize. And when Jesus said to him the seven words that changed his life, he said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Power in every word. He's not wasteful. 
Everything he told him meant something. He listened to his excuses, just like he's been hearing your excuses. And, and Jesus brushes his excuses aside and said, if you want to do better, you got to do something. Look at this. Jesus doesn't validate, validate the fable by saying, let me scoot you over to the pool so I can make sure you get in. He doesn't validate the foolishness that's going on. He doesn't try to encourage him by suggesting that he could just keep coming to the pool and I'm going to make sure you get in the front of the line tomorrow. He, he didn't say that. No, no. He didn't say, well, since you're going to be here, let me get you a new mattress that you can lay on. Yeah, that's what folk would tell you. Yeah, but what Jesus said in essence was this. First of all, he told him to do what seems like an impossible thing. He tells him, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. He says, rise. Now that sounds impossible to somebody that's been laying down for 38 years. How am I going to rise now, I ain't no doctor, nowhere close to it. There's some medical people in here. You can tell me how much atrophy your limbs have got to have after 38 years. You can tell me how much, how many problems you have because of none use after 38 years. And so for you and me, it might not seem so bad, but after 38 years, the hardest thing he could ever hope to do is rise. And yet that's what Jesus tells him to do. And since you don't know who this man is telling you this, he's got to, let's be real now, look at him like he's crazy. You're going to tell me to do something I haven't done in 38 years? But look what's happening here. I hope you watch it because this is what's got to happen to us. What he's saying to him is, I need you to transfer your confidence in you to me. I need you not to depend on your ability, what you think. I need you to transfer that to me. You don't understand what's happening here. If you see it and you feel it working, what's happening is you have to have, Amy, faith. That's how faith grows. You have to have faith that the one who's telling you to do that Somebody said, is able. He, 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 he's able. I got to have confidence that this man standing over me can do what he said. But I won't know if he can do what he said until I do what he said. Faith. Transference transferring he already is at the point well i know i can't do it i know i can't do it all right and so he reasoned because that's what we do he reasoned that if i'm gonna get off the porch then i gotta do what this man is telling me to do hebrews writer would later write about this situation david oh oh he said he said he said, this man's standing up was the evidence 
or realization of the things that he had what? Hoped for. And when he stood up, it was the evidence of things not seen. Obviously, it was Jesus' will. See, that's the difference. It was Jesus' will that connected to his faith. So when my will connects to Jesus's, I mean, when my faith connects to Jesus' will, the byproduct of that, in this instance, was for this man standing up. The byproduct of that was the miracle that he had been searching for. Can, can, I, can I tell you something? Because I, I know you missed it. The miracle happened without water. The man never got in the water. The man spent all this time praying for healing from the water, but he was looking for the wrong water. He was looking for the water that man had instead of looking for the man that made water. Not only does he tell him to do an impossible thing, he then removes all possibility of failure from him. He said, rise. Can I paraphrase the next one? He said, get rid of the bed. Get rid of the bed. He said, take up your bed. Get rid of the bed. Why? Why? Why does he tell him to get rid of the bed? Because you know how we are. Come on, man. You know, that's what he'll do. Because when you get up and you got to walk like everybody else and you get in the groove of what's been going on, you got to get in a whole new strategy. Now I got to go get my own breakfast. Not a little boy that used to run to me with some bread running from me. And our tendency is to go back to that which is familiar. We go back to the porch again. He probably used to walk, look at this. He used to walk back to the porch so he could see what was going on. So he could see who's still there, y'all know it. Oh yeah, we fool ourselves sometimes. We get out of the club that done tow us up. But every now and then, you know it's the classic. <laughs> I'm gonna go down to the club. <laughs> yeah, that's why Jesus said, tear up your club membership card. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. When you break up with her, delete her name, her mama name, her Instagram account, her Twitter account, her Facebook account, block every number. In fact, go get a new phone. 
removes all possibility of failure. You stop drinking, get rid of your shot glasses. People don't drink Kool-Aid from shot glasses. They don't drink Pepsi. Ain't nobody coming home doing no Pepsi shots. I'm always amazed at folk who got drug problems. They come see me and they say, I, I found these jeans that I hadn't worn in a long time. And it was a stem in there. So my thing is you obviously hadn't washed your clothes in a long time. Because you know the stem you left in them jeans because that's the stem you used to go get all the time. But you left it there for a crutch. It was your just in case. And Jesus said, get rid of all that. Take up your bed. And then he says, I expect, this is Jesus, I expect continued success. So he tells him, walk. Walk. He didn't say go to walk school. He didn't say go take classes on walking. He didn't say go to a YouTube video and see how other folk walking. He said, you walk. Walk. A whole lot of people expect uh, that when they're healed, people gather around them and, and then they see, they see how they're doing, but people start babying you. You all right? No, no, Jesus don't make no mistakes. When he heals you, you are healed completely. You don't need training wheels when Jesus blesses you. You're all right. He gives you the power. And so the man walks. Now let me close this and show you what happens when this goes on. Because when you lived in this way for a long time, you've gotten this reputation that that's you. And you don't understand what other people's issues are. Like this man didn't understand that he had just stepped into the most significant political discourse, the most significant religious problem that Jerusalem had had ever. He didn't realize he was evidence of Jesus's messiahship because he had been healed. And he didn't realize that until he came up to the haters in the church. And the haters in the church was looking, scrambling, trying to figure out what they could do because this man has disrupted the flow. And they said, hey, 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 that's you, pool man. Hey, hey, that's you. You're not supposed to be, look at this, carrying your bed on the Sabbath. Because according to them, that was work. And you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so that violated one of man's laws. Now, look, now, look, now, help me, help me. I don't understand this, but help me. If you see a man who been laying by a pool for 38 years. And every day you, you step over him, going where you going, what up? And you see him and you don't try to help him. And then one day, yeah, you go to the place where you normally step over him and he's standing up there holding his bed. You mean the first thing that's gonna come to your mind is that he holding his bed? 
That means you're supposed to be spiritual. You're the leader of the church. You're not going to throw up everything and say, it's a miracle. The first thing you're going to do is get all religious on me. Not even celebrate what God has done in this person's life. Not even say, show me who did this to you. But you're going to put him in, in, in church prison. Because he carried his bed on the Sabbath. So you can expect hatred from immature people. Whenever God does something like this in your life, you can expect hatred from the person who was laying next to you who now still laying there and you finally got up. You can expect hatred from the person who you get one step ahead of, who doesn't understand that the same blessing that God gave you, he's got for them. You can expect hatred from the person who does not realize that if God blessed you yesterday, that must mean he's in the neighborhood and he can bless me today. But you can expect hatred from them kind of people. And the remedy for it is what Jesus told him. Because the man went, they, they came to him and they said, who did this to you? And he said, I don't know. He legitimately didn't even know that it was Jesus who did it to him. And there were so many people there. Jesus had gotten lost in the crowd. He found Jesus later in the temple. And Jesus said, basically, he said, I see you doing what I told you to do. He said, now don't get into anything else or else you'll have a bigger problem. This is what Jesus said. That's when he realized he was talking to the miracle worker. And guess what he did after that? He did the same thing you and I have to do when God blesses, when Jesus blesses us. Tell your story. From that day forward, he blazed his story. He told folk how good God had been to him, how good Jesus had been to him, and that's how you shut the haters up. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you just keep telling your story. That's all I do every day, you know. That's my job. I just come to tell the story. That's all. It's in different forms because Jesus is so multifaceted. Yeah, I need to tell my story. I need to tell how he helped me out, how he blessed me, how he got me out of the rut that I was in. I need to tell folk that I too was laying on the porch somewhere till Jesus came along and helped me get up off the porch. And he did it without adding water. He blessed me, you know why? Because rivers of life flow through him. And all I need to do is connect myself to him. And that's all the water I ever need. Didn't he tell that woman at the well that if you drink from this water, you'll never have need of water again? I wonder if y'all know this man named Jesus. I wonder if you know him. The story is told that he was born of a virgin. I believe that story. The story is told that not only was he born of a, a virgin, he was born in poverty to a virgin. The Bible also says that he lived about 33 odd years. But we only know the substance of the last three years of his life. But oh, what a powerful time that was. Because it was during that time, just like with this man, he said about showing that he truly was son of God. 
The Bible says that at the end of that three-year period, the church folk had had enough. And so they grabbed him and they crucified him. Oh, they used a Roman cross, but it was the church leaders that made it happen. And they thought that that was the end of it. And they didn't understand that by killing him, they were really making him more powerful. They didn't understand that they were expanding the kingdom. You and I ought to shout glory because he said, my kingdom is not to everybody. First, I'm coming to the Jews. And when they killed him, it expanded it to who? The Gentiles. That means you and I now have a right to the tree of life. They thought they were killing him. But how many of y'all know that a man that could get a man laying by a pool for 38 years up and walking probably had something else going on too. And what he had going on was that he was the son of the true and living God. And the true and living God was not going to allow somebody to kill his son. And that be the end of the story. And so when they killed him and they put him on that cross, the Bible says that they put him in a borrowed tomb but three days later, the maker of the universe, the creator of the universe, the father of our savior, Jesus Christ, reached down into the grave that he was in and picked him up out of that grave and put life in him. And my Bible tells me that that same Jesus Christ who once was dead is now alive and that he'll live forevermore, but not just him, anybody who believes on him has a right to everlasting life. So do you know him? Do you know him? I invite you, my friend, to grab his hand. I invite you to stand and get rid of that bed you got and walk on up to him. He's waiting for you. You're looking for a miracle? Your miracle is today. Whosoever will, come on right now. We'll baptize you. Story we'll join you. Come on, come on, make it part of the church. Hey, oh, that's good. Yeah. Story. Come on, come on, come on. Some ups and some downs. Yeah. Never to the Come on, now we're waiting up. Story. Doors are wide open. Had to wrestle all night long. Sunshine.